go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Green Dot. This one's a special one. In just a few moments, we're going to have a remote guest. We'll introduce him uh, momentarily. But before we get into that, uh, a couple of seconds about what we've been up to lately. Chris, why don't uh, you take us just a second or two to tell us uh, who you've been talking to this week? Well, hello. Thanks. Uh, me and the staff writer, uh, Megan Esau, have been working on uh, something for the Apollo program. And uh, we've talked to several of the Apollo astronauts and then uh, sort of ended it on a pretty high note yesterday as we interviewed uh, Mark Harmon, uh, known probably mainly from uh, you know, NCIS TV show, but uh, he also had a very uh, close connection with Wally Shira, who was on Apollo 7. He actually played him in a miniseries uh, called From the Earth to the Moon, which was done by Tom Hanks. So uh, it was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting interview we got to do with him yesterday. Uh, that's great. Look forward to seeing what comes out of that. And that, of course, uh, was Chris Henry. And uh, since I didn't tell you at the beginning, I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor here at EAA. Across from me is uh, Tom Charpentier, our uh, senior our no, our director. Relations director. Our yeah. government relations uh, director. Um, I'm going to change your title every single time we talk, just so you know. Um, Tom, uh, we, you and I are going to be doing something fun uh, this coming Saturday. What do we have on our, on our calendar? Well, uh, you, myself, and um, uh, possibly one other staff member will be uh, doing a Young Eagles rally on uh, Saturday morning. Um, Young Eagles is a program the EAA runs that, um, uh, the long and short of it is we offer free rides for uh, kids uh, to try to get them interested in aviation. There's some follow-up work that we do after the plane ride to keep, the, keep people engaged and, and doing that. Um, so if all goes well, um, we'll be actually taking, uh, my girlfriend and I will be taking a quick trip in the, uh, in the RV6 that, um, that we'll be flying uh, the uh, night before, but uh, we're planning to be back early enough to be able to participate in the uh, Young Eagles rally, and we're doing those with our employee flying club airplanes. So we, uh, we here at EAA have an RV-6A, a uh, Cessna 172, a Zenith 750 Stoll, and a Wagyu Cubby uh, that we use for um, staff members to train and be proficient in the aircraft and on occasion do Young Eagles rides. Right, so I'll be flying the uh, the 172, which is the official STC technology demonstrator. That's right. Which, uh, I don't know, it just it sounds cool. And uh, it was, for a time, one of the only experimental 172s in the fleet that, uh, that we've ever heard of. So, anyway, good stuff to look forward to this weekend. But without further ado, I want to welcome Jim Busha. He's the Director of Publications uh, here at EAA, Editor-in-Chief of Sport Aviation Magazine, Editor-in-Chief of Warbirds uh, and Vintage Magazines. And he's uh, is down there at Sun and Fun, and we're going to bother him until he tells us all the cool stuff he's seen. So, Jim, welcome. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. It's great to have you. So, um, <clears throat> maybe even before we get into the meat of Sun and Fun, uh, let's back up just a little bit further. You've been uh, you've been away from the office for quite a while, uh, as you've seen from the pictures and video we've sent. Uh, your office uh, has seen better days, but we're making good use of the space, um, and. Uh, but before you got to Sun and Fun, I know you were at Stallion 51. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? Well, actually, Hal, I, uh, this, this is a 16-day tour of uh, the Florida area, uh, 40AA <laughs> gathering stories and, and video and, and photos. And uh, we actually began a tour uh, at the, in Pensacola at the Naval uh, Aviation uh, Museum there. Oh, very cool. That's high on my list. It's one of the few big aviation museums in the country I've not been to yet. So what, what, what kind of stuff did you see there that we don't see other places? Well, first, 
uh, Hill Goodspeed, the uh, museum uh, curator, who I really uh, talked to Chris up a lot there. I, I'd like uh, Chris and he to connect because I think they could both partner and do great things, uh, even greater things, I should say, because Chris already does great things. Um, but was, what was interesting for me was considered the backlot tour. Um, there was a uh, gray, just standard-looking C-130 sitting on the ramp. And what was unique about that is um, that C-130 uh, was flown by uh, James Flatley, Jr. Uh, you may know his father, uh, Admiral Flatley, uh, who was actually originally from Green Bay, uh, but was a big World War II uh, tactical fighter operator early in a naval career. But his son, James Jr., uh, first C-130 to land on an aircraft carrier. That's just incredible. Um, <laughs> and, and the C-130, of course, a famous large four-engine transport aircraft, not yeah. generally suited to an aircraft carrier. Technically speaking, it is uh, way too big to land on a carrier, <laughs> but, uh, but they did it. That's just, uh, just amazing. And, and on a, on a personal note for me, I, I, I had the honor to uh, actually interview uh, James Jr. probably about 12 years ago about that flight. And um, he basically said, yeah, it was no big deal. We, hurt, we uh, hit reverse thrust at the island, and we stopped. <laughs> and so for them, that was, uh, it was no big deal. Wow. And um, it was interesting to, to see that, that piece of history. Um, and, and there are videos of it out there as well that you can watch, but it, it's, it is amazing. I understand that airplane actually says, uh, look, ma, no hook on it, uh, <laughs> signifying it has no tail hook or anything like that, like a jet would. Well, and, and that's funny you say that that was the title of the story when, when I wrote it as well. So, yeah, that was a, that, that's a great piece of history. But they're also working on, uh, we, we were able to tour the restoration shop as well, and uh, they're working on a uh, Corsair that they uh, uh, plucked out of Lake Michigan. And what's unique about this Corsair, it, it has a birdcage canopy, which is pretty ultra rare. And uh, it was encased in a, in a wooden box, uh, almost as if it looked like it came from the Indiana Jones movie. Oh, wow. um, the uh, curator showed us that one glass pane on the side was the only thing that needed to be replaced. Are you serious? Well, yes, and I took some photos I'll send back to you, but um, it, it's just a great, great place. Um, um, we also uh, doing some stories with the Blue Angels. That was, uh, you know, obviously their home base, getting ready for Oshkosh, and um, spent a little time with them as well as uh, they build up and practice uh, for their debut at Oshkosh uh, Air Venture in uh, July of this year. Excellent. Then uh, I understand you popped into uh, Spruce Creek, a wonderful fly-in community uh, down in that area. Y yes, and uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, Hal, Florida on the map looks like it's a very small state. I can assure you it's <laughs> not when you drive from Pensacola to Spruce Creek. Um, but it was well worth it, and uh, it, I, I mean to say, great flying community. <laughs> they have a sign as you enter, and it says, "Caution: Children and Adults at Play." <laughs> and it truly is an aviator's playground. Uh, they have over 600 aircraft based on the field, everything from a Piper Cub to a, uh, a small business jet. 
and they all mingle and and um, everybody is laid back. Nobody cares what's in each other's bank account. Nobody cares how many hours you have or how many hours you don't have, and and everybody is treated as an equal there, and it's truly an aviation paradise. Yeah, I've, I haven't been to Spruce Creek, but I've been to Poplar Grove, uh, just uh, just down the ways in uh, in Illinois, and it's like going through Beaver Cleaver's neighborhood with an airplane in every garage. <laughs> it truly sounds like paradise. Oh, that's perfect. You know, it's so funny for me having grown up on a on a very small air park out near Seattle. And if I had to guess, I would say maybe at most uh, there would have been maybe 10 or 12 airplanes based there. And that, you know, that felt like a pretty, uh, a pretty big number. But that's just, you know, one grass runway and houses up and down either side. So, uh, you know, my own very short visit to Spruce Creek, it's just, it's absolutely overwhelming. But certainly recommended for anybody who gets out there. Uh, so, Jim, uh, we mentioned earlier that uh, you had stopped in to see the, the Mustang, uh, Mustang folks at Stallion 51. What was that like? Yeah, and, and before I get to that, I made one more trip over to Embry-Riddle to see Dr. Pat Anderson, um, who is just really creating some magical autonomous flight vehicles, electric flight vehicles. Uh, just, it, it's like, it, it, we were able to view his mad scientist lab, is what I called it, <laughs> and it's just incredible what what they're, what they're doing. And I think we're going to see a lot of, innovative changes in aviation come from that from that one hangar and uh, Pat is a grassroots guy himself uh, has a husky and a pits and toes gliders and just a just an all-around great guy EAA member comes to Oshkosh with his family and their Cessna 180 and camps under the wing so well we've sure been super super family we've sure been hearing a, a lot of really intriguing stuff that's coming out of uh, out of that group that think tank out there so really excited to hear more stories about that and uh, and maybe Jim we should do an episode uh, where we talk about the three places in Florida you have not been on this trip <laughs> <laughs> well I know you, I know how you get when you get on one of these things and and uh, um, this is as far removed from a boondoggle as anything I can imagine. You are always going, and you're always you're sprinting from story well, to story I mean, to story. I mean, we're, we're, and we're getting close to you know fulfilling our mission. You know, I, I'm I'm really working on the end visit, and that, that is to a Waffle House in your honor, Hal, <laughs> uh, to try to get it. Um, as you know, they're, they're not that difficult to find down here. No, uh, no, they aren't, uh, and. Uh, this episode was not brought to you by Waffle House, but, uh, but we may go after them to see if they'll write us a check for 50 bucks. It may have Just certainly been sure, made uh, possible by Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you don't end up in Waffle Hut, because that, that is not the same as Waffle House. <laughs> really? Yeah, not as good. Uh, another fascinating topic for a future episode. <laughs> what happened to Chris Henry at Waffle Hut? <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, you had uh, Embry-Riddle. Then it was uh, Stallion 51, if, I, if my GPS tracking of you uh, is correct. Yeah, we finally made it over to Kissimmee uh, to see Stallion 51. Uh, Lee Lauterbach has been just a great friend of mine for the last, well, actually 30 years is, is when we first met. And this is their 30th anniversary uh, of Stallion 51. And it was not geared as a Mustang gathering like they did in 99 and uh, in 2006. This was a... This was a close to the public, uh, special media invite only for certain members, and this was for uh, the graduates of Lee's Stallion 51 Mustang uh, checkout program, which is actually 
a higher learning, if you will, on how to safely operate uh, the P-51 Mustang. That's just what an uh, amazing place. Oh, it is. And, and the P-51s they use there, uh, I mean, I think, you know, anybody that's into to history uh, in the World War II knows the P-51 Mustang, iconic airplane from World War II, uh, single-engine fighter. But they're using special post-war P-51s that have dual cockpits on them. I mean, they're, they're dual control for both front and back, correct? Yes, that, that, they call that the TF version, and uh, it is uh, dual controls. And I, I asked Lee about, you know, what besides the students that come and get the full check, which, which he feels takes about five days, they also offer orientation flights. And uh, but it's not a Mustang ride. You actually you come to their facility in Kissimmee, you get briefed, it's a safety brief, and it's about an hour and a half long on what you're going to do. Lee or one of his instructors walks you through each maneuver, and it depends on the uh, pilot in the back on what they want to do. If they want to do loops, rolls, uh, stalls, just to experience the, the magnificent envelope of the premier fighter of World War II. Now, Jim, if I said I didn't really believe you, um, would you then send me down there to try this out for myself? Would that be well, my work assignment? I, of course I would, Al. You know I would. And I think you'd, <laughs> you, would, you would come back uh, with a grin that you would never shake. And um, it's, that, it's, that, it's intoxicating. It, oh, it really yeah. is. And uh, they had 14 Mustangs there uh, when we were there. And they did some formation flying. Uh, our photographer, EAA photographer, Aaron Brigham, was there and was able to go on a photo mission uh, in a photo platform and, and just really captured some stunning images, which, you know, you'll see later in the pages of Sport Aviation. Oh, very cool. What was she shooting from, just out of curiosity? Uh, Scott Slocum was there with his A36 Bonanza. Oh, perfect. Oh, very cool. So, Jim, um, I guess for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, you know, to fly an aircraft as high performance as a P-51, um, you need to have a special experimental aircraft authorization, essentially like a, a typewriting, a license to fly that aircraft. Um, if I understand correctly, a lot of the private P-51 owners go through this, um, th through Stallion 51, to get, to get that authorization? Uh, a lot of them have, uh, and I think it, it really started, Tom, uh, probably back in the 70s and 80s, and, and maybe Chris can also chime in on this, but, you know, there were a lot of these high-performance fighters after World War II that, you know, really you could pick up for $1,500 uh, back in the, in the late 40s and 50s. And unfortunately, some of the people that were, were buying them, uh, they had fatter checkbooks than flying experience. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these aircraft were were damaged, wrecked, or destroyed. And, you know, Lee uh, used to fly for Arnold Palmer. He was his chief pilot and um, highly experienced pilot. And then he and his uh, partner at the time, Doug Schultz, who was a Vietnam F-4 pilot and then a, a captain on a major airline, decided that uh, they had to do something different and they had to save these aircraft. Very nice. And Hal, Chris, I think between the three of us, we could probably scrape together fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, where's that time machine, Hal? Are you yeah. finished with that yet? <laughs> Still working on it. It's uh, it's over there in the corner, in a box marked "Do not open." I I don't know why. <laughs> and, All right. And you know, 
you know that fifteen hundred bucks nowadays is you know some of these are going for two over over two million dollars right. so they are uh, truly historic treasures and as I recall, we do all work uh, quite proudly I might add for a non profit so i i, I don 't know yes. that uh, i don 't know that any of us uh, I mean, you know, we'll see what the air venture bonuses look like uh, this year, right, boss? But uh, maybe well, it might be a little shy of two million bucks. I can assure you that if you were all here, I would buy the first round of waters at Walt <laughs> And that is generosity personified right there. All right, Jim, well, let's, uh, let's jump ahead to Sun and Fun. Uh, maybe just uh, tell us so far, how's it been? I know weather was a little bit of a challenge the uh, first couple of days you were there. Yeah, it, it seemed like... Like, that's always a guarantee. Every time I come to Sun and Fun, uh, either northern or southern Georgia has a uh, just a blob of weather that just will not move, that I think traps a lot of these aircraft that are trying to get, get down here. And I, I think that's what we saw in the last couple of days. Uh, sun and Fun has been wonderful. Um, there's plenty of sun, plenty of fun going on here. Uh, EAA has their... Um, Spirit of Aviation uh, mobile experience unit here, that which, as you know, Hal, they have their 360 video experience in there, um, um, the cookie cutter out of sheet metal that you can experience, the home builder's um, mentality for that, the two Redbird flight simulators uh, using a Cessna 172 as the aircraft uh, with an approach into Oshkosh on 27. And then uh, the IM, there's an IMC booth uh, located inside as well. Excellent. So, uh, sorry, it looked like Tom was uh, Tom was waving his hands over there, but uh, but I think he was just having a he was having a small fit. He put the fire out. He put the, <laughs> yes, the fire is out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got that going for us. So uh, let's talk about uh, sort of by area. What uh, what have you seen in vintage? You know, that's one of my first loves. Well, Hal, uh, some of our old friends are here. Pat Hartness uh, from um, Triple Tree brought his uh, Spartan up along with his P-51 Mustang. He says to say hello and hopes you come back in May to the uh, Joe Nall uh, RC flying and oh, also great. Triple Tree. Um, they want me to come back and shuck corn for them, of course. Um, <laughs> Which uh, but, uh, <laughs> nobody can shuck like you, Jim. I, 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 I I heard great things about it uh, when, when you were down there at Triple Tree. Um, and, boy, another amazing place. We could go on and on. We could do, uh, we could do three episodes just on Triple Tree itself. Oh, um, yes. But, of course, we can refer people to the, uh, the feature in Sport Aviation recently. Yes, so. and you did a wonderful job with that as well, Hal. That and, was a wonderful story. And now I have that on record as well. So praise from the boss. Always, <laughs> uh, always goes a long way. Thanks, Jim. So I think Tom had a, had a question for you, uh, higher level. Yes, sir. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for, um, for some of uh, our listeners who are uh, maybe sitting at home scratching their heads, wondering what the heck the sun and fun thing is, and I'll admit that at one point when I was uh, actually pretty far along in my uh, flight training, I hadn't quite figured it out yet, Jim, can you just explain for us a little bit about um, what Sun and Fun is, uh, you know, as a fly-in, and, and maybe uh, what makes it uh, a little bit different from the uh, from the fly-in that we host here in Oshkosh every year? First of all, what makes it different is there's no snow on the ground, as there probably is in Wisconsin right now. Um, Only in your office, but uh, uh, they they yeah. told us that we can get that window replaced, hopefully before you get back. Um, but what it is, Tom, I, I think it. it, it you know, it was a heavily involved EAA flying years and years ago. I mean, uh, Paul Pobresny, our founder, was was truly involved in this uh, from the beginning, and uh, it it obviously it 
there's a lot of different aircraft you probably will not see at Oshkosh that you will see here in Florida only because of the you know the distance involved. Um, it, it's a similar scale to Oshkosh, I would say maybe a third of the size, if you will. Uh, but still, the, the the people are friendly. It's volunteer system as well as as EAA started uh, back in the 50s, and um, I, I think without them, uh, this would not happen as well. Yeah, it. it I, I was down there a couple of years ago, and. Um just as it is here in Oshkosh, I am just always blown away by how volunteer-driven these events are and, uh, and just everything that, that goes into making it happen. Yeah, certainly uh, when it comes to volunteers, uh, they could do it without us before we could do it without them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. And, and it, it's similar, Tom, that they have, a, uh, you know, they have a Warbird area, they have a vintage area, they have a home-built area, uh, then you have the manufacturer's area. They have four exhibit buildings that uh, they, um, you know, that many of the same manufacturers and, and vendors that, that come to Oshkosh are there as well. Um, they have they have a very unique place here that I think is very special, and um, it's probably about 200 feet wide by, I don't know, maybe 3,000 feet long. It's called Paradise City, and it's all grass, and it's where the ultralights and the light planes fly. And, Hal, I know when you were here last year, we hung on the fence, especially as the sun went down every day, because that's, that's really where a lot of the magic happens uh, late afternoon up there. Absolutely. Very much like the ultralight area here at, uh, here at AirVenture. There's something really special about the, the lightest of the light, light aircraft flying quietly in the calm uh, right around sunset and that sort of thing. And uh, Jim, I know uh, you know similar to here at Oshkosh, there's a pretty significant warbird turnout. Can you tell us some of the the cool sights you've seen down there, warbird-wise? Yeah, this year they're celebrating uh, with Stallion 51 as well, uh, and they're having many Mustang days. Uh, there's going to be some heritage flights as well with the, with the P51 Mustang. But so far, what I've seen, there's a F4U Corsair. Uh, there's probably over a dozen Mustangs right now. Uh, there's the C-54, uh, uh, the Berlin um, that was used in the, uh, help me out, Chris. Operation Berlin, Vittles. Uh, yeah, Berlin Airlift. <laughs> Thank you. Berlin. Thank you. Yeah, the sun's been getting to me, boys. I've got to admit that. I apologize. So. Don't worry. We have um, none of that here in Wisconsin. It's, uh, it's cold and yeah. gray and dank, so, so you can look forward to coming back to that. Um, and, you know, a lot of the uh, L-39 jets are here, uh, a few T-33s. What first thing I've seen, though, ever, uh, there is a MiG-23 down here. Um, Fly? Which is, well, I, I think so. It's on the ramp, and it there, there has an N number on it. And um, I knew of uh, there's a canopy cover on it. Wow. But, um, I knew of one that, that has flown in the U.S. a few times, um, and I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever seen it anywhere or heard about it really being at an air show. And for those who don't know, MiG-23, uh, somewhat uh, equivalent to the U.S. F-111, if that means something to you. Uh, High-performance, supersonic, swing-wing, uh, Soviet-era fighter bomber. Uh, a big brute of an airplane and definitely not the sort of thing you expect to find in the hangar of, a, of an average warbird owner. Yeah, that, that's impressive. No. And probably one of our listeners will will uh, chime in on this uh, at some point in our uh, in our feedback, but... Um, 
I do know that there is uh, Drakken International down there in Lakeland who uh, who do aggressor services for the uh, for the U.S. military, and and perhaps there's a connection there. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, it might be Tom because I I've seen uh, uh, a MiG twenty one in in their front yard, uh, right. and I think one of their A four Skyhawks as well. Yeah, they basically bought the New Zealand Air Force uh, when they <laughs> retired their Skyhawks. <laughs> Haven't we all done that at least once in our lives? Yeah, gone nuts and bought the New Zealand Air Force. Yeah, exactly. yeah. If I had a nickel for every time, uh, every time that had happened. Um, all right, so uh, uh, Jim, I know uh, another colleague of ours, Kelly Nelson, our executive editor, is down there, and she sent me a note uh, about uh, about a pretty intriguing home built uh, called a BX2, uh, maybe the only one flying in the U.S. Have you seen any other cool home builds down there? Kelly uh, also found a, a brand new uh, build of a Pitts S1 that, that is a beautiful workmanship. Is that uh, uh, maybe a red and black uh, one? Yeah, I think uh, uh, yes. we've got a picture of that on our Facebook page uh, at facebook.com slash EAA. Uh, you can see some updated photos from, uh, from Sun and Fun. Anyway, go ahead, Jim. And, and we actually have another one of your fellow writers, Hal, Beth Stanton, is down here uh, interviewing him uh, as we speak. Um, I know uh, the B-Light aircraft um, that we've been eagerly waiting to see uh, has been debuted here, and I know, Hal, you're going to hopefully go down to uh, the great state of Kansas and, and fly that this fall right. and very do much a pilot report on that. So, Very much looking forward to that. So B-Light, uh, uh, a popular name uh, for the last several years in the single-seat ultralight world, this is their first two-seater. They announced it as the Pipper... Uh, and then for reasons which I, I look forward to digging into, they've now renamed it. It's now called the Chipper. So, and how have they announced a price point in that aircraft? I know uh, that they do some very economical aircraft. Yeah, they uh, they have. This is something like, and I, I don't want anybody to quote me on this. Go, you know, do your own research on the web. But I know this airplane is going to be remarkably inexpensive. Like the basic airframe kit is like nine thousand dollars, then another two thousand and some for to finish it either as a tail wheel or a, or a nose wheel. Um, they're talking about uh, some some engines less than ten thousand dollars, and a three hundred hour build time, which certainly seems very reasonable. So this this is going to be really intriguing, uh, you know, low cost entry uh, into the into the flying market. So for so. a lot of our listeners out there um, who uh, don't think that they can afford to get into aviation, well, if you can afford to uh, to buy a new mid sized car, you might be able to afford to buy an airplane. Absolutely. Uh, anything else uh, interesting in the the home built arena down there, Jim? I know there's 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 a lot of them, of course. Uh, obviously, they're all interesting, Hal. And as you know, you've been in this long enough that every plane has its own story. Absolutely. And let's face it, we we could go a thousand years and still uh, never even touch it. Um, uh, there were a lot of uh, the SX 300s. They also had a gathering at Spruce Creek, and they they flew over en masse. Oh, uh, there were probably six or seven of them on the field here. Uh, always uh, nice to see. And boy, what you talk about a hot rod of the air. It's the SX. No kidding. Um, thanks uh, in large part to your generosity with uh, logistics and being willing to drive a car two hours while I went and had fun. I got, uh, I got to fly one for just a bit uh, last, uh, well, it must have been February, uh, down at, uh, uh, when we were down there for Sebring. And, and that was... Uh, that was an absolute blast, a little rocket ship of an airplane. And, uh, you know, we've mentioned Sport Aviation Magazine quite a few times. We do have uh, a feature coming up in the June issue that we've just, I just finished reading uh, that Megan Esau, our staff writer, put together about the SX-300. So a great chance to learn a little bit more about that airplane and go deep into one of the, uh, one of the restorations. And 
Is there anything else uh, really standing out for you, Jim? That is there one thing that really you saw it and you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe uh, how cool that is? But besides that picture of Chris that I sent you. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'm still digesting that. Um, you know, Chris, it's 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 really an honor and a privilege to to be able to to come to these places and to talk to these uh, builders, restorers, and fellow EA members who uh, there's just such a deep passion for aviation and a grassroots mentality. And and again, I, I go back to what happened at Spruce Creek. In this realm of aviation, we don't care where you came from, what school you went to, or you got kicked out of. Um, <laughs> Why? What have you heard? <laughs> how much money you may have or not have. Uh, everybody speaks the same same language, and it's just it's refreshing to see that. I mean, sometimes I think, and and Hal will uh, chime in as well. You know, when we sit in Oshkosh and we, we call people on the phone, we, we don't really get to see the hands-on and, and be able to lay our hands on their products and their airplanes. But when you go out in the field like we do, it, it is truly magical. So it sort of sounds like it goes back to it's, it's more about the people than the actual airplanes themselves. Oh, and as we all know, Paul Pobrezny used to say that, from the inception of EAA, it's never been about the airplanes. That's just the cherry on the top. It's always been about the people. And that, to this day, you know, 2017 has not changed. And it, it's, it's just wonderful to see. Well, amen to that. Um, I've got uh, maybe just two more quick questions for you, Jim, if that's okay. You know, what we just talked about, of course, it is the, it is the people, not the airplanes. But uh, I'm pretty curious about, uh, about what it was like to see, uh, and uh, if any of our re listeners speak French, I apologize, apologize for the pronunciation, but the Patouille de France, uh, the, uh, the French Air Force jet demonstration team, um, that's one of, the, uh, one of the international teams I've never had a chance to see. Did you get a chance to see their, uh, their show yesterday? As a matter of fact, we did, and I was very, very impressed. They were only able to uh, attend Sun and Fun for one day, and that was uh, yesterday, uh, April 4th, and um, with the red, white, and blue smoke and um, the formations, I, I, I want to use the word graceful, Hal. It wasn't, you know, chest-thumping um, like the Blue Angels are to me with, with those engines. With, with this team, they were in unison, and not that the Blue Angels aren't, but they were just, uh, it was a different routine, almost similar to the Snowbirds, if you will. Sure. Um, just just very graceful, um, and it was something something special. Yeah, I remember um, the, when I saw the Canadian Snowbirds at, at Oshkosh last year, that was the first time I'd ever seen them, or really any demonstration like that. And I feel as a pilot, that was a much more entertaining act to watch, even though the afterburners hitting you in your chest from the uh, Thunderbirds of the Blue Angels uh, can't certainly be replicated. It was a lot of fun to watch. Well, there's so much, so much more finesse involved, and it's about energy management and things. If you don't have the thrust to just point the airplane in one direction and go, uh, then, then you've, got to, uh, you've got to approach the, 
formation and approach the maneuvers and the routine very, very differently. And, you know, it's not a case of one being better than the other, but it's, just, it's such a different approach that I think that, that contrast really stands out. And it sounds like that's what you got with the, the French team, Jim. Yeah, and I think what the air show attendees are going to see is, you, you know, they were, they were treated to this French team on opening day, and the uh, Blue Angels are supposed to arrive en masse today, I believe, and then perform Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you're going to see, uh, you know, two different dimensions of, uh, of military jet teams. And uh, as we're speaking, I hear the Blue Angels arriving, so they are <laughs> Excellent. here. Uh, can you uh, hold your head, headset out to the out the window or something so we can hear that from here? <laughs> so, and I do want to say very quickly uh, to our listeners, we appreciate people putting up with, we, uh, I think we've had some good audio quality here with Jim, but I know it's a little bit sketchy, and that's, that's just the nature of, uh, of competing for bandwidth out of a, a busy venue like Sun and Fun. Um, so, Jim, I, I mentioned two questions. Uh, so the French team was one. Uh, my final question, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Uh, if you don't like this question, you know I know where the boxes are. I'll pack my things. I'll be out of here by the afternoon. But uh, I'm wondering if you could do your world-famous Hal Bryan podcast voice impression for us. Oh, yeah. Now, am I supposed to say your name or my name? You, uh, you, you just uh, do what comes naturally. Just make, okay. it, just make it pure and from the heart. Well, I know that I know the listeners can't see, but my uh, right index finger is touching my ear. For some reason, I, I have to mimic you doing that. But here we go. Ready? I'm ready. We're all ready. Hello, Green Dot listeners. This is Hal Bryan coming at you live from Sun and Fun 2017. Now, you know good and well I don't sound anything like that, Jim Busha. Not a thing. Not even close. All right, Jim. Well, that, uh, that takes us to the end of it. We really appreciate you taking the time out of the busy schedule down there to, uh, to check in with us. Uh, and we certainly appreciate uh, you pounding the pavement and hitting the road so hard to, uh, with uh, various other colleagues and members of the team to, uh, to bring back great stories for the magazine, for the web, for the blog, for photo and video. It's all, uh, it's all part of the big happy family. So with that, uh, gentlemen... Thanks to all once again for joining us. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you again the next time you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>